Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to be back in First Peter today. I'm just going to say up at the top, if you follow along on the YouVersion Live uh, event that we put together every week, I didn't get that done today. I typically save it for the morning, and so it gives me one last chance to go over my notes. I lost my wallet this morning, and I ran around the house looking like a chicken with my head cut off looking for my wallet. So anyway, those notes aren't there. The, the verses are there, and you're welcome to, to follow along anyway, but it's just they'll, they'll be on the screen behind me. So I just wanted to to let you know what was going on. So we are going to be in First Peter chapter 3 today. You can go ahead and turn your Bible there if you'd like. Uh, one of my favorite movies, I'll just start off this way, one of my favorite movies of all time is Braveheart. In fact, I was so motivated or moved by, this, by, by talking about freedom last week that I, I had to go watch it this week, and I just loved that movie. I mean, it was, it, it, it's compelling, and, and truly it is a story of a man and his pursuit of freedom. And what it lacks for historical accuracy, it makes up for, for drama and just intensity, action. I mean, it's, it's pretty compelling to me. And of all the scenes in the movie, you know, it's, it's quite a long movie, but of all the scenes in the movie, there's two that really stand out. And the first is, is William Wallace, played by Mel Gibson, going back and forth in front of the Scottish army. They're all about to, to run away before they even fight the war. And he's going back and forth in front of them on his horse, calling them to fight. Not for, not for fame, not for noblemen, not for wealth and lands, but for freedom. Now, over and over, he's emphasizing this fight for freedom. And then, in my mind, the most intense part of the movie is where he's been arrested. He's about to be tortured, and they're telling him, if you'll recant, if you'll pledge your allegiance to King Edward, we will, we will give you mercy. And mercy in that, in that was going to be, you're going to die fast. We won't torture you. And he's like, he's not going to do that. William Wallace was, was, was not going to give in. And, and, and so they draw and quarter him. What that means is they stretch him and then they disembowel him. And so they cut him up into pieces and ship him across Scotland to uh, kind of as a fear tactic. But in the midst of this, in the midst of this moment, he's, 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 he's waning under the pain and suffering, under the torture that's being, being brought against him. And there's a moment we don't see what they're not showing. They're not trying to be gross. You, you see he's in pain. You see, you know, in Mel Gibson's just dramatic flair that he adds to this, he is suffering and he is, he is, he is losing. He is coming undone. And, and they are cutting away at his his vows, and there's a moment where the magistrate shushes the crowd. He's silence. The prisoner has a word to speak, and and everybody everybody silences. And 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 so you, the 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 word presumably is going to be mercy. He's going to cry out for mercy, and and then we're going to have mercy. And 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 that's what everybody's expecting, and and that's not what happens. Wallace, in this moment, gathering all of his strength, gathering all of his energy cries out freedom and everybody is blown away and and as a middle-aged man i mean i i'm telling you i'm like a i don't know a little girl all of a sudden seeing seeing my favorite barbie doll you know i don't know i i my my hair stands on the end my heart races my my uh my my flesh goose bumps all over and i am just moved because this desire for freedom. It doesn't really make sense if you think about it because I've never lived on a tyrannical king. I've never lived in a, in a time or a place where I had to worry about the king coming to my, to my home and taking it from me and saying, this is mine now. I, I never lived under this kind of, 
uh, under this kind of tyranny, or at least not by my perception. I, I never lived in a time and a place where, where I, I, I was at a loss for personal freedom. I, I did serve in the military, so I have, a, I have an inkling and understanding of what it is to fight for something to what it is to stand for something. But even as I served in a time of conflict, I, I, I didn't serve in that conflict in a, in a way that was fighting for my own personal freedom. Well, why in the world would this movie compel me? Why, why would it be one of the most popular movies of all times? I, I think, my theory is, is that within every one of us, within each of us, is an innate, God-given desire to be free. We want to be free. We long for freedom. But in our sin, in our sin, we have rejected the idea of freedom under authority and determined that freedom is our self-rule, our own authority being exercised however we want in whatever ways we desire. You see, we, 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 we demonize. In our sin, we demonize authority. We, we, make it, we, we make it bad, and we treat it as if it only exists because sin exists. But, but authority has always been. From the, from the very beginning of time, from the first tick of the clock, the first second that rang when God cried out, let there be light, He was exercising authority to command the light to shine. The verses that we just read, He placed all authority under Christ. Authority has always been and will always be. It's not, it's not a result of sin. It's not a result of the bad that's in the world. Authority is good. Well, we perceive it as bad because we are filled with sin. We resist authority. And we think that freedom is something other than living under the submission of God's authority. Because we are sinful. And so we've twisted it. And Peter has been teaching us. He's been showing us in this passage from, from the second chapter on now into the third chapter. He's been showing us that Christian freedom is always marked by a willing submission to God's authority expressed in this world. Christian freedom will always have a mark of submission on it. In, in the world, this, these two ideas clash. But in Christianity, from a biblical worldview... We are called to obedience. Obedience to God. We are believing a lie. We are being deceived if we believe that we can rule ourselves. We are being deceived if we think that we can live outside of God's authority. Everyone answers to it. At some, at some point, at some time, everyone answers to it. But he's freed us from that lie. He's freed us to submit to him. He's freed us from the, the, the deception of self-rule and made us able to live in obedience to him. He's, he's made us able to live worshipful lives, as Peter says it, to, to live worshipful lives that silence the ignorance of foolish men. That's, that's what he's freed us to. He's freed us to fulfill his purposes and his mission. He's freed us to live under his authority. Last week as we studied this, we... We looked at it in terms of submitting to his authority as expressed in the world. And Peter showed us four areas in which we did that. Submitting to the government. Being good citizens in this world. Submitting ourselves, putting ourselves aside so that we can honor everyone. Even those people that make us uncomfortable. 
Even those people that look different, that smell different, that speak different, honoring everyone, just finding value, finding value in everyone. We saw in loving the brotherhood, setting ourselves aside, submitting our own selfish agenda, submitting our, our, our own desires and, and, and uh, an effort to ensure that we love and benefit the brothers and sisters in Christ. And we saw it submitting to our masters. And the word really fits better in our terminology as our bosses, as our employers, Submitting to our employers. And, and, and Peter doesn't qualify and say, hey, when they get it right, when they do a good job, now you submit to them. He, he said, you submit. You submit. But he doesn't stop at these four. In fact, we stopped short because the next relationship he's going to point out, I felt like needed some special emphasis. I, I felt like we needed to take some time and really deal with it. Now, Peter's list isn't exhaustive. It isn't all the relationships that we're called to submit ourselves to. It isn't all the ways that we can submit to God's authority in this world. But he does show us one final relationship in which, in which is a vital expression of the gospel as we strive to fill our roles within it. And that, that relationship is marriage. Now, some of you, I know there's single ladies and single men sitting in this room right now, and some of you are Oh, well, it's about marriage. This doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, you're wrong. It does. Uh, probably in part because most of you that are single sitting in the room are thinking about getting married one day or long to be married one day. So, ladies, learn now what it is to be a godly wife. Don't, 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 don't watch television and don't look to, to People Magazine and and all, of the, uh, and, and all of the pop culture to understand what it is to be a godly wife. You will get it wrong. They have gotten it wrong. They are getting it wrong. There's, a, there's another way. There's a godly way, a better way. Men, listen. Don't wait to try and figure out what it is to be a husband once you got married. That is a wrong time. That is the most difficult time to learn what it is to be a husband. Because then you're carrying a responsibility. You're trying to figure it out. You need to listen now. Listen well. Pay attention. Hear these words. Brothers and sisters, this, this relationship, it, it's not intended, we're, we're not talking about it specifically to, to uh, elevate married people over single people. If you've been given the gift of single, singleness, if you have been married and now find yourself single, we're not trying to demean you or belittle you because you are single. But there is an expression of the gospel that resides within the marital relationship inside the marriage covenant and we as a church living in this day and age need to get this right our world our nation needs to see godly marriages being exercised they need to see the examples being set so peter calls us to it submitting to god and 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 how that works itself out in our life we'll start reading in chapter 3 verse 1 read along with me likewise Likewise, ties this automatically to the previous context, okay? So, so it's not like Peter has been talking about all of these things, about submitting to government, honoring everybody, loving the brotherhood, and submitting to your masters. He's not talking about that, and then, okay, now it's on to, to marriage. Likewise, we're, we're immediately connected. We're immediately connected to the verses before where he points out Jesus Christ as the example of, of submission, as the one who, who went before us and showed us the way. He, all of those verses are tied in right here to this word, likewise. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, 
they may be one without a word, by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not, <clears throat> when they see your respectful and pure conduct, sorry, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of jewelry, gold jewelry or, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Is there an opinion that matters more? Which in God's sight is very precious. <laughs> For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, Peter addresses wives first. It's not like he's coming to this and saying, okay, so wives, you got the most work to do, so I'm going to deal with you first. And that, He's just following his pattern. If you go back, this, this context really starts back in, well, it really starts back at the beginning of chapter 1 as he's kind of setting the whole stage. But, but the immediate context goes back to at least chapter 2, verse 11, where he kind of begins to, he, he begins to show us what God has done in us and what he expects from us. And then in verse 13 of chapter 2, he begins to break it out and give us practical explanation. You can go back and listen to the messages from the last several weeks and see how that's, how that's played out. But it's all tied in together. In every case, he's coming to the people, not the people in power, not the people with authority and saying, hey, make them submit. Go to them and oppress them and make them, make them obey you. He's coming to the people who are under authority and he's saying, you submit. This is the pattern he's following. This is the pattern in which he, he sees God's expression of authority being, being played out for people who believe in, who trust in God. And now he's saying to us, Submit to his authority. Submit to God in this world, even, even to governments, even to employers, even to, to people who look different than you and smell different than you, even to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have been freed to do these things. You've been freed to submit. And so he comes now to wives and he says, all right, well, well wives, in the marital relationship, wives are the ones to submit, so I'm going to speak to them first. And he follows that pattern. Well, what does he say? Let's, let's just work through this phrase because I want it understood. It says, likewise, be subject to your own husbands. Likewise, I said, it refers us back to the immediate context. It refers to the examples he's already set, like submitting to government, submitting to employers, and, and specifically for wives, you see, submitting to your own husbands. But not just like how we express submission in the world, but also like Christ. It is a, it is a, Example is a tangible expression of, of exactly what Jesus did. When, when Jesus was accused, he didn't threaten. When Jesus was reviled, he didn't revile in return. Jesus at any moment could have flexed his muscle and set people down and not gone to the cross, but instead he submitted to the authority placed over him. He trusted himself fully to the one who judges justly. He submitted, even under evil people. And this is what Peter's calling us to, submit like Christ. This is what he's calling wives to submit like Christ. This is God's will for you in Christ. This is his plan for you. He says, like that, submit. And the word is hupotasso, and it's a, it's a strong word calling you to obedience. And we don't like to play the obedience card in husband and wife conversation because oh, that's, that's a little too far for us in our, in our modern world. 
We're, we're beyond that, right? I mean, we, we know better. You see, that's not what he's calling us to. He's not calling us to figure out a better way. He's not calling us to, to, to know something more, to move on or progress past this. Now, I, I have no doubt that, that Peter intended this to, 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 to be as daring or starkly contrasting the culture it was in as, as it does our own. Certainly, wives were called to submit. They were expected to submit. They were second-class citizens, and they were oppressed, and they were domineered. Peter's telling them to do something willingly, to willingly obey, to willingly put yourself under authority. To who? Your own husband. Not all men. Not every man that walks up to you is, is somebody that you're supposed to submit to and, and obey. It's, it's not intended in some way to, to, to put you at our beck and call like men get to walk around and see a woman and say, hey, I need you to go do this. I need you to go do that. Hey, take care of the toilets for me. If, if that has happened to you, if, if I have ever treated you in a way that makes you feel small, or that makes you feel like you are less than me, if I have ever dominated or domineered over you or, or in some way oppressed you, I am sorry. Men have been abusing this forever. We, we have been, we have been uh, usurping or abusing authority for many, for, for, forever. It's still happening today. You go into cultures in some of these developing countries and still women are treated as second-class citizens. Mission trips into China, we would walk into these villages and the women are all out walk, or working in the rice fields, bending over, working hard, taking care of family, making meals, and, and men are sitting getting drunk in a town square being taken care of and expecting to be taken care of by their women. In Africa, the village that we go to, I love them dearly. I long for them to know Jesus, but, but I watch these men, and in, in some ways, in some ways, they'll, they'll express a concern and a care. But when it comes right down to it, women are their objects. Ladies, I'm sorry. I wish that it wasn't this way. I wish that we weren't abusing this, this position. But the truth is, is that you don't owe obedience or submission to any man but your husband. Him alone. Well, what this isn't, men, this is not an opportunity for you to elevate yourself over your wife and have a servant. This is not an opportunity for you to be able to sit back on the couch and drink beers watching the game while she's taking care of your house, taking care of your children, and, 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 and taking care of everything else so that you can kick back and relax. Hey, make sure that the laundry's done. Make sure that the house is vacuumed. Make sure that the yard is cut. Make sure that the, the, the food is bought. I, I, I'm just going to go and earn some money, and I'm going to come and sit on my tail and do nothing. That is not what this is. Men... This is not a call for you to oppress or domineer your wife. If you heard the word Lord earlier as Sarah called Abraham Lord and your chest swelled, humble yourself. We are going to deal with what you're called to soon. When we get to verse 7, this is not a power play for a man. 
ladies, this is not an expression of your lack of value or capability. You are heirs with us in Christ. God saw you as valuable enough to send his son for you. You, like man, women like men, were created in God's image. You are image bearers of the creator who chose to be a savior. You bear that image. Your value is intrinsic because you are God's. And don't let anyone ever tell you you are not capable. I know women who seem to be more capable than many men I know. And, and guys, if you ever question a woman's capability, I just ask you to do one thing. Have a baby. Do it. I dare you. And when you've done it, you come and let me know so we can promote it because people are going to want to know. You can't. The truth is we all have mothers. Every, every person born has someone who carried them for a period of time who, who, whose body enabled them to grow into a level of maturity as an infant before they were birthed out, who who bore the pains of childbirth on your behalf. And, and, and women are much more capable than just childbirth. Don't, don't, let, this, don't let this be a, a, a place where you say, well, it's, that's childbirth. But no, look around. Look around at what women do. Women are capable. They are extremely intelligent. There's, there's women in this room that I, I feel inferior to intellectually. There's, there's women in this room who have education well beyond mine. There's women in this room who, you are capable. Let no one tell you. Don't let yourself believe that a call to submission is a removal of value or because you're incapable. Christian wives, submission to your husband is God's intended design that you might express your faith and obedience, faith in and obedience to him. Peter is just simply following the design that God established in creation, and he is helping you now see how God intends for you as a Christian woman, a Christian wife, to obey God, not just your husband. This is how God designed This is God's intended design. It's his intended plan. This, and, and, and don't miss this. I mean, I, I said it already. This is a starkly contrasting statement even to the culture. The culture was, was domineered over. They were oppressed. And, and you, can, you can be certain that they weren't willingly submitting. You can be certain that there was resistance and there was a fight against it. You can be certain that, that, that women didn't appreciate being treated the way the, that they were by their husbands. They weren't allowed to inherit things. They were, if they were outside of the authority of a man, they were seen as less. They were, they were not treated well. Peter calls them to make a choice of the will to submit to the very people that are oppressing them. Tell me that wouldn't be difficult for you to do. 
tell me that you wouldn't struggle with those words. You would struggle with them just as you struggle with them today. You would struggle with them just as our culture does today. We're just struggling with it from a different perspective. On this side of the women's lib movement, where we've valued and honored roles and valued and honored position, valued and honored authority over people, Peter's saying, don't, don't let that determine who you are and what you do. Peter's saying, determine in your heart to submit yourself to God through your husband. You see, there's a motive behind this. He's got a plan for this. There's a reason for it. If you're married to an unbeliever, he tells us, if, you're, if some of them don't believe, that the, that the actions and the character of a, of a godly wife will lead some to, to know and, and become obedient to the word without ever saying a word. Ladies, this is your most powerful evangelistic tool to submit to an ungodly husband, to walk in a manner of submission, not disobeying God, not moving to the place of of disobedience to God, but without even speaking, you can live in such a way with, with someone who sees your character, with someone who sees you day in and day out, with someone who knows what you believe, with someone who, who knows the words you've spoken in the past, who, who knows and hears and sees your actions and sees them lining up. This is a powerful evangelistic tool that, that he might be one, that he might be brought into obedience when he sees your respectful and pure conduct it's not a guarantee it's not it's not a promise that oh if you do this he'll do this but i believe i'm confident in the word of god that it's going to work better it's going to be more fruitful than if you i'm going to use this word and i don't mean any disrespect but if you strive to nag him into obedience or nag him into heaven i i i'll tell you myself we are sinful people. And when, when, when I'm nagged at, when men I know are nagged at, they don't respond to that. They bristle up, they puff up their chest, and they're going to prove to you. They're going to show you. They're going to do what they want to do. I wish we weren't that way, but I'm telling you that's how we are. And Peter, through the Holy Spirit, understands that this is the best way. It's not just an evangelistic tool, though. It's not just this this evangelistic moment. This is an example that has been set for you throughout history. He draws all the way back from Abraham and Sarah. So so we sit here today and we read these words and we're like, oh, that's 2,000 years old. No, it's longer than that. It's all the way back to Abraham and Sarah, which was probably 4,000 years before that. And, And before that even, you can see it in the scripture. When God created man and woman, he created the man and he said he needs a helper. There's a reality that this has been the way it has, has always been intended. This is the example of Scripture from the moment that God entered into a, an, into a covenant and, and said, these are my covenant people. He sees Abraham as the father of our faith. That's how Paul describes him. And he sees Sarah as the mother. And he says that you are daughters of Sarah. You are walking in her example. You are living in the example of a holy women, godly women. When you do this, the world will laugh at you. They will make fun of you. They will tell you that it is not worth it. Peter is telling you, God is telling you through Peter, this is what he intends. Why? Well, think about the context that this resides in. It's not just what Peter is actually saying here, but the the context that it sits in. All of this. 
All of this is, has been so that people see the glory of God. It's, it, it's stated back in 11 and 12 of chapter 2 that we're to abstain from the passions of our flesh. We're to abstain from the passions of our flesh that wage war against our soul, and we're to live honorably so that those who see us, so that those who revile us, so that those who speak against us will one day glorify God. We are to live worshipful lives that lead others to worship God. And, and we do that by submitting to God's authority in the world. We do that by obeying God through authority expressed in the world. Ladies, specifically, he calls you. He says, you play your part glorifying God. You play your part in benefiting the people of God. You play your part in the advancement of God in part, in part by submitting to your husband Listen, this willful submission, he's calling you to something drastic. He, he's saying that, that, that while you want to premeditate their murder because they bugged you so bad, you should be premeditating your submission to them, your obedience. Commit submission in the first degree. Plan it. Purposefully live in it. And he goes on and he gives us another perspective here. He says another thing to women. He says, Christian women... Do not pursue physical beauty. It's not that physical beauty is a bad thing in and of itself, but it is not to be the primary goal. Christian women, spiritual beauty is not the goal. It is the goal, not physical. God is more honored by what you look like on the inside than on the outside. The world will tell women, you can get what you want, you can have whatever you want. You can manipulate and you can control if you just look a right way. And we see it all over. I mean, we see women striving for this in, in many ways. And, and, and the, the, the weight and power of, of, a, uh, of a beautiful woman is she's treated differently. There's been studies on that. I mean, it's, it's crazy the way people will react to physical beauty. We, we put so much weight on it. And, and God is saying there's, there's something better. There's something that demonstrates his glory more fully. It's not wrong or it's not bad that you wear jewelry or braid your hair or wear nice clothes, but, but that can't be the primary goal. You have been freed from your sinful nature that calls you to control your man. You have been freed from your sinful nature that looks for the approval of people based on how you look. You have been freed. So submit to God, pursue Him fully, live obediently under the authority that He has placed you under. Those, those, those attributes, those perspectives, what He's called you to. And then Peter turns to men and he says in verse 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, he said a lot to wives and in a lot of verses, and he gives, us, gives men this one verse, but, but, but it is packed full. It is packed full. He comes and he starts again, likewise, and he ties back to the context. But, but here's the thing, this breaks the pattern. Because he's not telling husbands to submit. He's not telling husbands to obey. 
He's saying something different to them. It, it breaks a pattern. So Peter has been dealing with people under authority and is saying submit to the authority. And now he's now turning. And I think this is one of the reasons why we can see the marriage relationship is so vital, so special. He now turns and he points specifically to husbands now, the ones who are going to exercise authority and says, does it? And he says, exercise that authority in this way. And you may ask, well, wait a minute. He doesn't tell them to submit or to exercise authority. He doesn't tell them to hold authority over their wives. You're right, he doesn't. So how do we determine that? In fact, I don't think anywhere in the Scripture, and I've studied it for a while, I don't think anywhere in the Scripture does it explicitly say, husbands exercise authority over your wife. There are places that talk about a man having authority, but never does it say explicitly, command him to exercise authority. But every time it deals with this, every time we come to this, Every time the Bible talks about marriage in the New Testament and it, it plays out the roles of the husband and wife, it calls the woman to submit. It calls the wife to submit. You see, there's a reality. Men, you only have authority because God has asked the women. He has told the women that they are to submit. Your authority is not intrinsic to your, gen, your, your, your genetics. Your authority is not intrinsic to your physical stature or your power. Your authority, it's only because God has allowed it and because God has designed it that way. Well, how in the world then does Peter point back to the context? Because that's not what he's showing us in any of those places before. He's saying, submit your authority, submit your, your will, get, make yourself obedient. How in the world does he tie back to the context? Because the reality is, just because we are exercising authority doesn't mean we're getting our own way. Men, if you think that this is an opportunity now for you to design your home and determine how it's going to go, and, and instead of flowers getting put anywhere, you're going to have a bunch of, bunch of metal and nails. and I, I don't know. If, if you think you're going to have a man cave for a house to live in because, hey, she's got to submit, then you're wrong. You're missing the point. He's not saying exercise your authority in, in a way that, that dominates or domineers or oppresses. He's saying, just like I called you earlier to love the brotherhood, to set yourself aside to love the brotherhood, Honor your wives. Just like I said to honor everyone, honor your wives. You see, that's the idea is, is here that Peter's, he's saying that we're to still submit ourselves. We're still to give up our own selfish agendas. We're still to give up our own selfish desires for the good of our wives. How does he tell us to do that? First, he tells us to know them. Know your wife. He says, live with her in understanding. Live with your wives and understand. The word understanding is translated from the word gnosis. It's knowledge. But it's not knowledge about it. It's not like you read a book once. Like, I know what women are about because I read, I don't know, Cosmo. You know, I, I know. I know my wife because I, I, I read that magazine religiously. I really don't. I don't want you to think that. But, but you're not going to know your wife by reading about women or reading about the things that women like. You're not going to know your wife by, by knowing about how women are put together. You're, you need to, to know your wife. It means to have knowledge, intimate knowledge of her, to know who she is, to know what she likes, what she needs, what makes her happy, what makes her tick, striving to understand what's more than just how she looks, but trying to understand what's underneath. To, to try and live in such a way that, that you are connecting with her more than just looking at her. This is going to require you to set yourself aside. To count yourself less significant than her. Your, your flesh longs for her flesh. 
There's not a man in this room that hasn't struggled with, with lust in this world. Your flesh will long for her flesh. Men, you'll be more motivated to bed her than know her. Peter is saying, kill that. Put it to death. Be done with it. Ladies, let me just say this. If the man that you're considering marrying spends more time trying to get with you than to know who you are, he's not ready to marry you. Send him to me. We'll have a talk. He'll be mad at me. I will make him angry. Probably make him angry. But I will stand on your side. His role is to know you before he beds you. Don't, don't give in. Men, your sinful nature desires to hide from your wife. It desires to ignore her and neglect her. It's easier to sit and say nothing. It's easier to sit down and play video games or, or, or to go to work and, and stay hidden in your work for hours and hours and hours on end. It is easier to walk into a room and be by yourself than spend time getting to know your wife. Your sinful nature will lead you to that. And Peter says, kill it. Kill it. There is no room for that kind of, of selfishness. There is no room for that kind of, 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 of selfish agenda and selfish desire. Ladies, listen. If you're looking and dating a man that all he wants to do is play video games, all he wants to do is, is sit on the couch and, and have you at his beck and call. Then you're not dating a man, you're dating a boy. Men, grow up. There is no room for that in the Christian faith. There is no room for that in Christian marriage. Man up. Be, be what God has called you to be. He says, know your wife. Die to yourself that you might know her intimately. And then he goes on, honor your wife. Now, if you remember from last week, I, I told you this then, I'll tell you it again. The, the word that's translated honor talks about assigning value, looking at her, not, not for what she can give you, not for what she can do for you, not for what she's going to fulfill in you. Don't look at her in that way. Look at her and see value in her. As you get to know her, honor her her assign value to her and it's pretty powerful i think because he's already told us as believers that we're to honor everyone everyone there's no one that is is exempt from our honor our seeing value in them seeing them as image bearers of god there's no one exempt from that but now he turns and he says now husbands honor your wives he 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 emphasizes it he points us directly to it he says as you're honoring everyone honor your wife specifically, specially, ensure that she sees value from you. Ensure that she understands what she means to you. Your wife is an image bearer of God. She is a co-heir to the throne. She is, she is a princess in the kingdom. She has been made pure by the blood of Christ. She has value because of these things. God says it, now you need to believe it. Honor her. Treat her with honor. You know, we tend to honor position. We tend to honor roles. And Peter constantly calls us to honor people. 
Husbands, honor your wives. And he, he qualifies this and he says, honor her as, as, as a weaker vessel. And a lot of people struggle with that. And a lot of people have, there's a lot of discussion about exactly what he means. Some people think he means physically men are stronger than women. Some people think they're phys- spiritually they're more apt to be strong than women. So, so there's all kinds of discussion. Nobody knows exactly what Peter means, but we know that he means they're the weaker vessel. Honor them as the weaker vessel. It's pretty clear he means that. But here's what all of the discussion, everyone in the discussion seems to agree upon. The women are not the only weak ones in this text. They might be weaker, but they're not the only weak ones. You only get weaker if you have something weak already, right? Weak, weaker, weakest. Men own it. Stand up under it. We are weak, fallen creatures. We do not have the strength to be all that God has called us to be. So quit trying to be. The best thing that you can do for your wife as you strive to know her and honor her is turn and admit your weakness before the Lord. In all things, we should be striving to honor our wives by ensuring that we are leaning on the strength of Jesus. We are not strong enough for her, but He is. Turn to Him. Lean on Him, weak one. For the good of your wife, lean on Him. Listen, aside from Jesus Christ, there should be no, no one a husband values more than his wife. And in valuing her, you need to turn to Jesus. You need to admit your weakness and lean on him. And why? Why would we do these things? Why would we give up so much of ourselves to honor someone else, to know someone else? Because she is your equal before God. Peter says it, that she is an heir of the grace that we have been given, the grace of life, he says. She has earned, she, she, or not earned, she has been given it as much as you have been given it. It's not like God says, okay, here's the grace, man. You, know, you turn around and you give it away. No, she stands in the same place before the cross as you do. She is your equal before the Lord. She is, she is just as valuable as, she is worth as much as you are. She is loved as God, lo- as loved by God as you are. So don't ever think that her submitting to you isn't ever putting you in a place of, of greater value or more capability or a greater sense of, 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 of being. That is your flesh. Kill that. Christian husbands. We submit to God by exercising authority to serve the best interest of our wives as heirs together of God's grace. You have been freed from the sinful love of yourself. You get that? You have been freed from that sinful, selfish love. You have been freed from needing to have your way in all things. You have been freed now to love your wife as Christ has loved the church. Do it. Submit to God in it. Let me just close this out. Just a, a plea for the importance of Christian marriage and, and why we would spend a, a week dealing with this and, and why we wouldn't just walk away from this in our day and age. Obviously, we're, we're, we're so, so far beyond this, right? Why, why, would, we, why would we continue 
trying to understand marital roles according to the Bible. Because this is God's design. This is God's intended plan. And the reality is our world needs to see what marriage looks like. We need to quit talking to them about what marriage is and begin showing them what it is. We need to begin living out our roles. And, and, and I promise you, you send, this to a, you send this sermon to a women's lib group and they're going to come shouting at me that I'm a male chauvinist, that I'm trying to keep women down. That is not it at all. I'm trying to encourage you to see that you are freed to live in submission to God. Now, you're telling them to submit to men. No, I'm telling them to submit to God. I'm telling you, submit to God. I'm calling men to submit to God, to fill your role in marriage for the glory of God, for the good of His people and the advancement of His kingdom. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have people revile us. We're going to have people tell us how stupid it is. We're going to tell people that, that this is not right. Psychology proves it's different than what you should do a different way. Brothers and sisters, I'm convinced that the, that the power of the Word of God is still just as relevant, relevant today as it always has been. The plan of God is the same. And as we do this, we may have people revile. We may have people speak against us. But in the end, some will see the glory of God and they will turn because of what they've seen in your marriage and they will worship Him. Your marriage, our marriages are as much a part of the mission of God as anything else we do. They're not simply so that you can have a person to live with or that you can have sex without sinning. They are so that God's glory can shine in a world that is dark. So let's live out our roles as husbands and wives to the glory of God. Let's pray.